Welcome to the Tom Castro Shooting Academy podcast. You have now entered the next level. What's going on, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Tom Castro Shooting Academy Next Level Podcast. I have some special guests. Well, one of them seems to be just always on my podcast because we're really good friends. And I have another podcaster, guys, Mr. Alex Mansfield, better known as Manny Talk Shooting. Welcome, brother. How are you doing? Doing good, Tom. Thanks for inviting me on, brother. Yep. You right. messed up so that. I brought you messed up oh, oh, you messed up the intro. It's our podcast. We've covered oh, oh, oh our podcast. No, it's not. No, it's not. He hasn't paid for anything, I promise. No, so, how many times have I, you said it's our podcast? One time. Never make a mistake oh, in front of Tom because he'll never let you live bullshit. it down. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about why I brought Alex on. So Alex is in the middle of setting up for the 2023 Michigan sectional. Yep, that is correct. All right. All right. So, which is starting in what two weeks? I think we just talked about. Yeah. So that the match starts on April 15th. So nice. it's coming close. I've got two weeks. So my Oops. question is, is how much has the stress level gone up in the, and now that you're getting two weeks in, are you getting close? I think some of the stress is definitely hit, but it, it is also <laughs> coasting off due to the fact that like they, a lot of the stuff is like been checked off the box. Right. So what's getting... the biggest obstacle? So how long have you been uh, preparing for this match? Um, let's say since June of 2022, when I got asked literally the day of the Michigan sectional last year, I was like, will you be the match director? And I'm like, I guess so. <laughs> Yeah, I think these, I think the guy who before knows like what you're prepared for. So they try to give you a year's notice <laughs> well, of preparation. Yeah. Well, and it should have been a year, but then we had to move up the match from June to April. So I lost uh, a lot of valuable time. So why did you have to move it up? What happened? Well, we have to deal with um, at Brooklyn. It's not a, as you've been there, Tom, it's not a big town. It's, it's rinky dink. It's small. There's right. a NASCAR track like five miles down the road from the range and they host one race a year. And it last year it happened to affect area five. So we moved it forward a week this year. Well, and then I should, let me rephrase this. There's also a country Western music concert the week prior to <laughs> those. So you, you were sandwiched right in the middle. And so, and then we looked at 2023, the schedule looked good until NASCAR posted their schedule. And with how it worked is we couldn't move forward that week because we would have been top of area one. So we were like, okay, when and where can we move this date to? So we were scrambling to move area five and the best scenario was, all right, we'll put it in June. So we'll shoot area five in June. And then the Michigan sectional got thrown to the wind. And it was like, we can't do it in May because there's a major match like three hours away in Ohio. So we're like, looks like we're in April. Man, that's uh, that's definitely kind of sounds very familiar, doesn't it, Todd? <laughs> yeah. We had our date scheduled last year, and then Area 6 said, no, we want your date, and scheduled on top of it. And then they changed their date three times to Mother's Day weekend, and I moved mine up a month. So, yeah, totally. I think we're um, – have we? De- have you decided on what that's about next year yet? Are you still in the air? It's or probably going to be – it's probably going to be March. I'm still up in the air because I don't, with you wanting to continue vendor row, a sectional versus a world speed shoot, which one are your vendors going to go to? Well, I hope they come to ours so that, cause they're going to get treated better, but I'd rather not compete. I, that's the whole thing yeah. is that it's not good to try to take away from other 
other matches. Right. So like my goal is never to take away from another match. So I hope, honestly, I truly hope that vendors row is something that just becomes normal. I didn't do it just because I wanted it for South Carolina to be special. I did it so that it'll change our sport. I want to change the way we treat the vendors and so on and so forth. And the shooters, I mean, the shooters, I think, even though the vendors got a lot out of it because I talked to nine of them that showed up and worked, I'm telling you from, from the responses we've gotten back so far, they loved it. Shooters absolutely loved getting to shoot guns, get to try new product, get to see what they would want to buy and try it before they buy it. I mean, that's some of the guys that were at our match between Da Vinci, um, Hunter's HD gold, all these uh, masterpiece arms, they got to try the product before they ever had to buy it. And that's big when you're dropping five grand or $2,500 on a gun. You know, a lot of people don't want to just go out and buy a $4,000 gun and go, Oh, it's good just because of the price. That's not always the case. So it was very, very nice to see uh, the experience that they all got. And the other thing that I thought was really cool was John from outdoor dynamics supplied both of our vendors that were basically shooting guns the entire time with ammo. So, you know, again, free ammo for the shooters, free ammo for the, for the vendors to be able to allow people to try their product. And I got to tell you, I, I was pretty fortunate to, I was unfortunate to run out of ammo or bullets before I left, but I was fortunate enough to be able to have John as a contact and call uh, John from outdoor dynamics. And the entire time I was out there, which was almost a thousand rounds while I was coaching and training and teaching people, I shot nothing but outdoor uh, dynamics ammo, not a single jam, not a single flaw, it was awesome. And it was a 125 grain that I don't usually shoot. So the fact that I didn't have like, you know, a shit ton of ammo wasted on just trying to figure out what the recoil impulse was. I was very, very happy with his ammo. So I, I, I definitely recommend, and I will absolutely send anybody who doesn't reload, even reloaders. If you guys are need, need ammo, definitely check out outdoor dynamics. I mean, John, John's pretty amazing. And he was a sponsor of the match. So, I mean, he's yeah. definitely out there supporting clubs and supporting matches. So I, I really, Really want to thank him. It was pretty great. And yeah, not only did he do that, he also um, gave away four packets of 500 bullets a piece for the staff table. That was so, pretty I mean, awesome because originally I didn't think for this match. Yeah, originally, originally I didn't think he was actually sponsoring the match in that uh, facilitating the match that way. I thought he was taking care of Masterpiece Arms and Da Vinci, which in my opinion, was more than enough <laughs> oh, <laughs> because yeah, for sure. that gave everyone an opportunity to use those vendors. But then he, then, you know, Todd opened up a box and we actually, we were looking for the the banner, if I remember correctly, and you opened up the box and you were like, what? Are, oh, and he gave certificates. And I was like, that guy's awesome, dude. Like, he, you know, again, uh, taking care of, taking care of the staff is, is, you know, really important. So um, I, I, that's, so that was something that I wasn't quite, I didn't actually originally plan on it, but after building the match and kind of putting everything together with Todd and, and we had a bunch of guys help, but I looked at Todd, I said, you know what, man, every single staff member is going to get a free month into this, into the Tom Castro shooting Academy. So I gave everybody a free month on the online course. Um, no questions asked. They can quit whenever they gave them a free code. And uh, a lot of them weren't able to come over and actually get the training. Like some of the other people did. So I, I definitely wanted to get them some training. So I, I threw out a, a code to those guys and they sent them sent it, Hopefully it's out in the email already. Todd sent it out and everybody saw it. So I already had a few sign up already, but they get a free month in the insider circle. So get that training. I want to always make sure my staff or Todd staff, since they were, they work for him, not me. Thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> they are uh, taken care of as much as you can, you know? Yep, for sure.
How about you, Alex? What's your deal with staff, man? How, how easy is it for you to find staff there? Um, it depends. Honestly, it depends on what time of the year it is because people have some, some staff are mostly retired as we know, you know, and they do the, they're the traveling ROs. Uh, but some people do have children who like to volunteer or it depends, seems where the match is for in like in our state, because the section match will move around every two years. So depending on what, where you get the match at is who you'll get for staff. For me, it was, I was very lucky. A lot of the staff who worked last year came back. So there was a very low turnover rate of who didn't sign back up. So I was very lucky on that end. I mean, as everyone should probably know is like, you'll lose staff periodically throughout, you know, the time of when the match opens, like Todd doesn't know anything about that. (laughs) He's never had that happen once. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. But uh, so luckily enough, I've got staff. It's somewhat easy and sometimes it's teeth pulling to find people, but I've been very fortunate that I've made enough connections working other major matches myself to be like, Hey, will you come work my match and kind of get that foot boots on the ground kind of mentality to, to get them to kind of work. So how much staff do you, um, how many shooters do you pull from staff wise? Like, obviously I'm assuming it's an open invitation to kind of ask everybody to help, but what, what do you think your average? And I guess, let me ask it this way. How much staff do you need? Cause it's not going to be a, a match, a, a staff reset. I'm assuming. Right. Right. It's not staff reset. Um, it's, it's interesting enough, the demographic or the mentality up here at least is like, I don't know if it's old tradition and old guard. Uh, they don't want staff reset. They don't like as staff, they don't want to be, it's not that they wouldn't do it. It's that they feel like that they'd only put enough staff to put um, on that bay for, to run the match, but then still want them to reset is what they've got this mentality of. But um, so at minimum, I need, like 35 staff, not including my stats guy or my range masters, just so I have enough for three per bay and, uh, and chrono. Yeah. Now, uh, how, how do you take care of your staff? Do you pay them? I mean, how, how does that work? Do you have a certain amount that you guys have worked out with them or? Well, typically what we're going to do is usually we take really good care of our staff in a staff prize table, along with, um, if they room up, they're going to get a whole hotel room comped, or I'm going to cover half of their hotel room uh whatever at the match hotel if they decide to go somewhere else i'll cover up to i'll reimburse them up to whatever the half of the rate was yeah um food's on us so we do a big staff dinner along with their meals while they're working and uh and we do try to take care of them really well with the staff prize table so we'll kind of cherry pick and make sure that the table's good for them we try to get a couple guns each year for them so nice yeah this year we had um how many guns do we have, Todd? I think we said seven, eight, eight guns. I think it was eight, seven. Eight guns. We put eight, two eight on guns. the staff table, and yep. I think it was two hunters HD gold certs. Yeah, yeah. So we we had a uh, Todd ended up splitting up some of the gun, took two of the guns away, and gave them to staff, which was more than more than good. Um, gave that away to those guys, and then they got uh, what was the other thing? Was was it HD search? You said you took a yep, couple two. of those. Yeah, nice. Yep. And then took a couple of the certs for those guys, and then. Um, so it was good, man. And then actually at the end we had, um, I had a prize package that I was able to get from pro shot products. Uh, pro shot is a cleaning product company that I am actually now sponsored by and use all their gear and absolutely love it. I actually thought so. I had some up here since I cleaned my gun the last time, which I put it away in a box like it's supposed to be, but, <laughs> uh, they ended up sending us a ton of samples for the match. 
which was awesome because we ended up using it. Uh, I threw them out on the save tables and I had a lot of people, a lot of people. I was really surprised how many people actually came up and said how much they really liked it. Uh, I put catalogs out cause they sent me like, um, a package of all of their like cleaning products, like a lot of it. I was like, this box was, I was like, what did you send me? Like a box of rocks. I mean, it was just so much stuff in there. I was like, holy crap. So um, I actually it was funny because the stuff they sent me, I ended up taking some of it to the match and like they gave me a bunch of catalogs to give out. So I took them to the match and laid them out on the tables. Dude, those things were gone. I was like, oh man, I guess everybody likes this stuff. They're going to get a catalog. They took the catalogs, but I had like, I don't know, I think 45 or 50 samples, like little, little small bottles. I threw them out on the tables and they disappeared every day. So that was really cool. Um, and I got feedback from a lot of people about it. I was really surprised. But they were um, they were able to sponsor the the safe tables, which we all know the other companies that do that kind of aren't the, the the thing with Pro Shot that I like is they're uh, they're made in America, they're from Illinois, and you like actually talk to the owner. Like I'm not talking to a corporate guy, I'm not talking to a salesperson, I'm talking to the owner of the business. So it was definitely a a, a match made in heaven for me to to definitely talk to them, and they're actually going to sponsor the uh, podcast. So hopefully. I'm going to get sit down with him. I just South Carolina really kind of beat me up a little bit on like what my personal stuff was. I didn't really get, I ended up getting a couple of sponsors that I haven't been able to tell anybody about. So I'm just like, all right, once I get home, I'm just going to settle in and <laughs> try to get my shit back together. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. South Carolina was, uh, it's, it was a lot. So, but, um, so with the, with your staff or with your prize packages, I'm, I'm really interested in what you guys are doing with, how, how are you finding vendors? How many vendors are you trying to get? Are you getting vendors for the South Carolina or the, sorry, for the Michigan sectional? Or are you thinking, or are you driving most of that, st- that stuff to uh, your, your big area five match? Well, since I'm, how I like to put it is I've made partnerships with a lot of people with my podcast. So yes. I went straight to my podcast sponsors and partners and be like, Hey, I'm running a match. Uh, you're going to get eyes on your product. Will you please sponsor the match? And I think every one of my personal sponsors, or I, I can't say Spartan, partners right. in my journey have like, yep, we're 100% behind you. We'll send you what you need. Uh, just send us over your sponsorship packet so we can figure out what we kind of need to give you, which has been really nice. Um, last year, I think I looked at the numbers. We only had four or five sponsors of the Michigan sectional last year. Um, I've, you know, tripled it to 12. Nice. So, uh, you know, but I've been boots on the ground with it and very lucky um, with, with some contacts too, because I was able to pull like Michigan based company Trigicon back in, you know, I didn't have any real relationships with them until I got one email chain sent to me. I was like, here, this is the person you call. Yeah. Okay. But send that to us. <laughs> that's fine. I'll send it to you, Todd. Don't worry. I think, uh, uh, well, don't talk, don't send it to Todd. Cause he messes it up. Cause then I have yeah. to go and find out what he said to a vendor when he dumps it in my plate uh, a week <laughs> later. So send it to Tom. Um, I, I am interested in, or I would like to talk a little bit about that. That to me was the hardest thing so far as trying to get vendors was knowing who to contact. Mm-hmm. Um, that has definitely been the hard part. I'm pretty fortunate that Matt Hopkins moved to South Carolina and was a big part of this match for scheduling and things like that. So I was able to kind of get a little bit of inside information from him about not so much who to call, but like, these are who you're looking for in the industry, right? That this specific person is the type of person that does the, the, this vendoring and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. So like, again, it's the hardest part is finding who the hell to talk to. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and, and even find them, getting them to answer you back or get a call back. Cause I, I personally, the emails that I sent out as much as I tried to explain, cause I, I'm pretty good at writing the stuff down that I like the passion that I have on paper, but it's never the same as talking to me. Right. Or talking to someone in general, like, Hey, look, this is what we want to do. This is our plan. This is what we're going to execute. Um, versus going, yep. I read, okay, cool. I read there's some stuff going on in the vendor area. Cool. Whatever, you know? Um, so it's definitely that phone call. I'm still that handshake guy. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I, I just prefer that way of business anyway. Well, and honestly, talking on the phone with somebody is a lot easier to communicate back and forth instead of this is an email, it's black and white. <laughs> and uh, just like when I talk to anybody in like the industry, it's like, can I just call you? I, yeah. I hate this, this thumb, thumb typing, right. clicking. It's like, no, just let me, just per let me my last you. email. <laughs> crap. I don't, I don't even know if that's a good thing to say or a bad thing. I think that's bad. Isn't it Todd per my last email? <laughs> yeah, that's not a good thing. It's that non way of telling you you're pissed. Right? Yeah, yeah. You guys suck. Oh, call me back. You're an idiot. Yeah. You didn't listen to the last time I called. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's been, um, I didn't think that actually getting the vendors was the hard part. It was getting a hold of the vendors. That was the hard part or getting, um, a, a response was the hard part. So it's definitely something that I hope to be able to improve next year, um, and make a little bit easier in for me in the long run. Because I, and I want to start a little bit earlier next year. Um, well, and there's a trick to that too. If you ask too early, they don't have their budget for the next year. 100%. If you ask too yep. late, they've already spent their money and they can't help you. Right. And that's, right. and like some people say, I'll oh, wait till January. I'm like, why would I wait till January when I'm ready to start this in, right. in September or October? Right. It's my goal is honestly like my goal after experiencing and having something to show to someone, like I literally just made a video showing vendors row, showing the match, showing the staff, showing the, the amount of, I guess the amount of publicity that we have that we can put into the match and showing their gear off and showing how many people walk in and out of that vendor area. I have something to show them now last year. I didn't. Right. I'm walking up going, I promise that I am not taking your money. <laughs> you know, like I am not a scam artist. I'm going to work hard and we're going to make this work. So now I have, you know, something physical that I can show. Like, look, we had nine vendors show up, 300 shooters walked in front of them. So, I mean, sometimes I saw the same person multiple times at that booth also. So it's like, you're literally like hitting them over the head with the product over and over. And every time they walk by, they're like, I want to go look at it again. I want to go look at it again. Oh, I didn't, I forgot to ask that guy something. So I'm going to go talk to him again. So target USA, Jason was there from target USA and he, he had somebody at his booth constantly. And I was like, I don't ever remember seeing a, a target company have as much people show up and talk to somebody. So I thought that was something like just, that is the something that you're not going to see at every match that someone's going to go, Oh, I'm going to go see the target guy or the steel guy. And the fact that somebody was over there talking to him constantly about his product was like, all right, this is working. Like, this is what it was about. It's like a hundred percent what it's about. I mean, people always go see Brian, right. From hunters HD, obviously, mm -hmm. but I had people seeing premier that I, I would go and stop by and talk to them. And they were like, we met customers that have walked by us a million times at other matches and said, Oh, you know, I just, I always see you guys. And I knew I was going to get ears. I just, uh, I just, Oh, well I said, all right, screw it. I got to go over there and get a punch on my card. Anyway, I'm going to go see them. So that was very helpful. Like, you know, we just kind of forced them into that, into that area.
Mm-hmm. It is nice. And Jason's product is fantastic, if I will say so. Like, I mean, he and I have got a great relationship. You know, his targets are awesome. Um, a lot of people don't actually have never seen his products. Like they see the video of the holy monkey, right? But they don't <laughs> know how realistic, like the yeah. stomp activating devices are cool. The rhino knockdowns are cool, especially like if you're training, like I love the rhino knockdown flipped upside down and you don't ever have to reset no popper or any yeah. big piece of steel. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you, man. Yeah. I actually am going to start using his products in my classes. Um, I actually am going to start representing him a little bit after this match. So I plan on bringing some more, hopefully some highlights, some of his stuff. So, cause I, I was impressed with his product as well. So I don't think I like is that if you shoot something or somebody shoots something, you just go get a two by four or a two by six. It's very nice. I don't have to weld anything. I don't have to go crazy. I, I really like that. So uh, I, he's got a lot of innovative stuff. He really does. So he showed me a couple of targets and I'm like, Oh God, here we go. Well, like, and, you know, people are going to be complaining about that one. <laughs> well, you should be uh, honored because he came all the way from Alaska to hang out with you. Yes, Honor. he did. So he was a, I was, I'm going to say a last minute addition, but not, I talked to him at shot show about the match. Um, and I think he decided like basically week or two weeks before the match, he goes, all right, man, I'm, I'm going to try this. He's like, originally, I love what you're saying. You're going to do. I want to see what you're going to do. Um, he's a big supporter of Max Leagrandis. Um, what did they, what do they call that? Um, PCSL. PCSL. So he's a big supporter of that. So I like the fact that he's trying to, he wants things to grow. I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't as a company, right? Mm-hmm. If the if the business or the sport grows, his company grows. More ranges, more sales. It's just how it works. Um, I wish we could have got a little bit more promotion out of this match that didn't just come from me, but <laughs> it's a little frustrating. Thank you, by the way, for sharing my stuff. I noticed that every time I made a post about South Carolina, you posted it. So thank you very much. That was awesome. Well, I mean, somebody's got to do it. I mean, if, if, if it's not the feet on the ground, it's got to be the next guy. Yeah. I was, uh, I didn't, I don't know why it wasn't getting shared because it wasn't about me. It was about the sponsors and the vendors and the, but whatever, I'll let it go. So we'll, um, hopefully I'll just start making uh, everything. I'm going to send everything to masterpiece arms and then we'll finally get a share. Yeah. So, or a re yeah. Cause it's, it gets a reshare and then it'll get posted. It's, it's, it's the only share I got was from a video that was made that, masterpiece arm shared (laughs) isn't that just sad and petty but just seems to be the way it is so but uh yeah man so we you know the thing for south carolina that we had was we had some rain so you're talking about maybe you might have a little snow at this match you're hoping no i'm hoping it's just going to be rain and but we plan for rain is worst case scenario um, this is something I learned from my mentor, range master, uh, Walt Pagel. Uh, we put up walls around our activators and build canopies. So Leif really was the one who put, made this mainstream. It seemed like or everyone noticed when Leif Kunkel does it in Kentucky, but he learned it from my mentor, Walt. So we build the canopy. We put the walls up and pull the tarp to make a canopy. So your activator always stays dry. So luckily if it rains, the worst thing we come is, you know, we got water on the ground. So you put up walls and just so you can put a roof over the top of them. So in other words, so that it doesn't sink is what is the goal. Yep. So then it's not, so say the swinger is not getting pounded with water. It's, it's very consistent that way without having to use waterproof targets. Um, It's just another way. It's, I guess the cheap insurance policy. I mean, that was my next question is you guys using waterproof targets? No, not yet, but I actually haven't seen 
in i haven't seen i don't think up here i've seen a match with waterproof targets and if it's only and you know every target is uh you know there's few over stamps them could be different right so it's kind of hard to use a non-waterproof target with a waterproof target on the same stage for your match because your perfs could be wrong and different uh, from a uh, consistency standpoint i've seen matches that will do all their hardcover waterproof that way if they have to hardcover will be waterproof that way if they change it out it's already there and then use their use regular cardboard targets that way but we i just spend the club extra money and they're all for it just to get everything waterproof so the whole match is that way so i don't have to change anything especially with the half day format so alex i'm interested in how much would you have to raise the price of your match to cover the cost of waterproof targets five bucks a shooter two bucks a shooter what do you think you would have to raise it to make it worthwhile to to just cover that that individual cost tom uh well uh todd what is the uh per box price on a box of targets let me look it up right now because it fluctuates it's roughly double the charge double but that's the because of the shipping i think it's they're heavier because of the wax yeah, yeah. well and from which what sucks I was, so I mean, it could be an it could be an added cost, and I know I, I don't know if I said it in the pre, I think I said it in the pre show, but we bought a bunch of targets like the year prior. Right. So we were sitting on a stack of targets at a yeah. great deal, and right. so we're burning through them. And then I think Tom, you and I even talked offline about the extra effort into making a waterproof target a hardcover. Yeah, like the extra time and effort. It's I, time and effort. It's not the hard part. It's just you got to find the time and make it to right. Make them waterproof because i know i spent three three days in my basement painting targets yeah i think yeah. you can uh i think you can honestly buy them waterproof targets and then i think you have to i think there's a way to make it to where you know the paint is a waterproof option right so uh, i think honestly i haven't really exper experimented too much but i'm thinking you might even be able to use like a lacquer or a polyurethane over the target and still keep it waterproof because really all you're doing for like the face of a cardboard target isn't really the issue obviously it gets wet when it gets holes in it it's the edges right yep. so it you have to really kind of spray it um I, and i haven't seen the process that they use but i'm assuming that they just lay them down on a table and it's just a machine that just shoots hot wax on it then they dry and then they package them because i mean that wax melts once it gets hot like if you leave them in a connex at 200 degrees that's what i was talking to um Demon. no it was it was um i asked why they don't use waterproof targets in at nationals and it was because yeah. they store it all in alabama so like obviously where they have nationals is where they store it well they said if they put it in the connex it'll melt and stick together and then they're no longer worth anything afterwards and i didn't realize that they were that sensitive, but it's wax, right? It's a candle. <laughs> they just poured over the top of a target. So Todd, did you have that price? Yep. 89 bucks for 50. So that is about $10 more. Oh, wait, wait. No, for it's about, 50. That's double. It'd that's double. double. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's why I said it's double, double the price. Yeah, Whenever okay. I figured out, it's roughly double whatever we would get through. I think we get ours through target barn Yeah, and it's mm -hmm. roughly double what um it is there. But I, this is I've done the match for three years and we've used all waterproof all three years. Never had to use it till this year, and I was very thankful. And we even got comments on our survey that went out today that they were the staff was even going, "Thank you for using waterproof." <laughs> <laughs> I think the staff is happier, obviously, on a staff reset. But if we would have had to do it as a shooter, I don't know how we would have finished the match with bags. Um, mm -hmm. I just don't see it. That that's, it takes so much format. longer. Say that again.
I was just saying nine and a half day format is what yeah. I was saying. Mm-hmm. Now, do you still bag your targets overnight to keep the humidity out of uh, um, we we didn't we don't bag the straight up ones. We learned um after the first night that we need to bag the we had 12 stinking 45 degree targets, which will never happen again. But we had 1245s that we had to bag. Mm-hmm. So the first night we learned, okay, we just wasted 12 targets that had like 20 shots in each of them because they all wilted. And then we just put new ones on top of it and bagged them overnight. So we lost only one target. What We walked the stages on Wednesday as a staff. So it was me, Todd, and I think Tyler, Tyler Meisenheimer was there. It was a, I think it was just, I think it was mostly just a few guys that were like the main setup crew that were there. Chris holiday. Um, they, they all walked with the range master and we moved things, changed things, whatever we had to do. And I Masters. think walking, I think we only lost one stage or I'm sorry, one target that was a 45 degree angle. Um, and it just, the wax failed, like the edges, like you could tell it got into the, like the edges and it got in behind it. And then that was ruined. So, uh, for that one, but then I, I told Todd, I said, dude, once they get a hole in it, it's over. Like, there's no way we're going to have to bag these every night. So it worked out good. We, we were able to, but it was just, you know, that's why you got to cut the sticks, man. You can't let those sticks stick up. You got to cut them even with the target so you can put the bags on it and, and make it happen. Yeah. But. Yeah, because that, I mean, dude, you're just throwing a do- two bucks in the ground, in the garbage, and you haven't even used it. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about something that Todd did that was special, that a lot of people don't do, and I think it helps staff a lot with their experience. Uh, maybe not the first, not maybe not the staff that's shooting <laughs> it on the early day, but definitely the staff throughout the match. So Todd had it set up to where they did a Thursday staff day. Um, which I unfortunately shot. <laughs> so on Thursday staff day, like everybody understands how staff day works. It's you, you don't expect to shoot. Well, you don't, you're there for the match, right? Well, I don't like that. I don't like that mindset. I don't like that thought process. I, I can't stand that staff is treated as a Guinea pig, I guess is kind of what it would be. So Todd has set it up to where on Thursday, you kind of get a, an early guinea pig, somebody who comes in, they have a squad of people that shoot. Most of them are range masters, um, like early setup staff crew guys that are there to kind of, that the match is more important than they're shooting for that specific match. So I never think about my match in that way. I always, I'm always super competitive, but didn't realize what's that day I signed up for, but I cared more about the match than I did the shooting that kind of shows in my preparation for the match. I picked up my gun Wednesday night at 1030 before I went to the range in the morning. (laughs) So I did a little dry fire before that. And, but the staff that we shot with on Thursday, we found all kinds of things that might not even have been big things, just some minor things, but we had some big things, but at the end of the day, it allowed the staff on Friday to get much more of a natural, normal match instead of get your wrenches and your hammers out. So I, I don't know if that's normal though. I don't think any other match really does that, or at least not that I've seen. Um, did you learn that from somebody else, Todd, or is that just something that you knew like, Hey, listen, this is just kind of a, a backup plan to keep the screw ups from happening on staff day or. Oh, I'll tell you where I came up with the idea. And then where the other people that I know do it, we were at a, a twice for tots match when the first year, lucky David Lyle and I were shooting on his squad and there's a stage that was set up with some newer stuff and it wasn't functioning. Caused first stage caused a backup. 
and I looked at Lucky and David. I'm like, this could happen to us at the state match. I was like, why don't we shoot on Thursday? And they kind of molded around and we all decided that we were going to do it. So we've done it all. We've had a Thursday, usually more of a PM type squad um, for the last two years. And then we did it again this year. And I know North Carolina did it last year. Um, Gary said, when I talked to him about it, I think Tennessee does it a little bit. Um, and he said there's one other, I forget what else he said, but it is, to my knowledge, it's not the norm. It's the exception right now. Yeah. From what full from my experience, I have talked to some range masters who have done it in the past, or they they do they talk to other range masters who do do it. It's just not talked about. It seems like it is nice though, long as typically you've got what your range master and your stats guy still walking around with the master tablet, making sure you've got right number of targets, mm-hmm. right number of steel, making sure the stage is good. And then it's like, okay, yeah. it's good. Let's shoot it. And then yep. you've, got, and then, you've got everything ironed out before your staff get there. Yeah, and I didn't. I mean, my WSBs are never perfect. And one nice thing about it this year was Gary was able to go through and kind of correct everything as we were going through mm-hmm. and then come back with the master tablet that we can sync everything off of. And then he and I met after he went around the range and this will come into play a little bit later in the conversation. Um, Gary McConnell out of Tennessee went around the range, took a picture of every target on the range um, set and at rest or all the movers and the activators and did a video of every stage. Now the CROs were supposed to do that, but we'll get to that most stage. Well, I'm not going to say most, I know one stage for sure. They didn't do that. So yeah, it's uh, like, so anytime you have reset, and beyond. yeah. Anytime you have reset of any kind of stage, if you're not doing a, a local or something that literally you can't, I mean, you know, a level two, you should have video and if not video, you should have still pictures of every single target, every single position. So I will tell you one thing that we did on at this match that I don't know. So, so I've only had two level two matches in my experience. One, I really didn't get to run by myself. Unfortunately, it was at a club. (coughs) Excuse me. Unfortunately, it was at a club that likes to keep their thumb on anyone that might actually be able to do something. Um, But here with Todd, I was able, I, we didn't hang a single target until Wednesday, which was when the, the range masters came in, Um, which, so for me in my mindset, and I don't know if this is normal, but I also told all of the setup crew when we were building, do not hammer down or nail down a single target stand at all. Only put the sticks in it. So we kind of have an idea. We'll turn them at angle and kind of get an idea of what we want barrels, whatever we needed to do, but it's going to have to be free flowing because of really at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you see. It's what the range master sees. And that's good because they're the ones that have to enforce the rules. They are the final ruling. It's not going to be, Oh, well, Tom wanted this. It doesn't matter what I want. It matters what the rules are. And they have much more knowledge of the rules when it comes to things, which I'll get into in about a second. So as we're walking the stage, uh, we don't have, we don't put any of the stakes in. Well, the few that I, that people did, (laughs) unfortunately, those few that we did, I had to move anyway. So it was kind of interesting that we had to move them, (laughs) even though, you know, with the stakes, I'm like, man, it's a good thing we didn't put in uh, 290 shots or 270 shots worth of target stands because I would have had to undo them and re-nail them all down. So luckily the few that we did, those were a big pain in the ass, by the way, because uh, 
we're Todd has a great range, has a great uh, place to shoot, but they do have some wind that will come in and out of there. And so the experience for Todd pays, you know, dividends at the end because he's like, nope, we got to put wall braces on everything. We have to put this extra, this extra, that. And I'm going, dude, this is a lot of extra work. He goes, trust me, it's worth it. And I'll be damned if it didn't happen this year where it, we had a storm in the morning. Uh, was that Saturday morning? Yeah, Saturday yeah. morning. Saturday, was Saturday morning. We weren't sure how bad it was going to be, but it looked terrible. Like we were going to get 45 mile per hour wind kind of thing. So we uh, we rushed in there in the morning, nailed everything down extra, even more than what we already did. And we ended up not having the problems, but the, the range masters coming in. And so I found out some interesting rules, a little bit about the stage setups. So one of the things that I know as a rule is that you cannot leave 180s for people, right? Like you cannot allow the shooter to turn around and shoot the target. I did not know that while you're setting up a stage that you have to completely dummy proof it. Like you have to set up a stage to this at this point with the rules that we have that you cannot turn around at all and see the back of a target. I'm talking, you could be a hundred yards up range and turn around and point directly behind you and you could get a reshoot through arbitration because you were trying to, because I did not cover up the back of a no shoot. <laughs> so in other words, if I put a no shoot facing up range, like it's supposed to be, if I do not cover the scoring zone of that target with something, either a wall or paint or something that someone could use the rules against your match, mm -hmm. we've got to work on that. Like USPSA has to look at that. Uh, I'm telling you right now, I was ready to never build another stage in my life um, because that just creates so much extra work for us. Uh, I had to bring out walls. I had to move barrels. I had to cover things that I should not have had to cover because of stupidity. I don't know where that rule came from. Uh, maybe it's the close one. I don't know. Maybe it's the, maybe it just, it's one of those unfortunate rulings that happen because of the where it's like three feet in front, you know, really close to you kind of 180. But I mean, I was covering 180s where like you wouldn't have been able to see it until you went 15 yards up range. So I, I those are rules like I wish we had less, I don't want to say gray or more gray area, but really <laughs> uh -huh. like when are we going to put the responsibility on the shooter? Like I I I don't want to see somebody get hurt because of that, right? But come on. Like we've got to think a little bit better than that about the staff and the builders. I mean, how many extra walls do we have to have because of those things? It wasn't the walls, it was barrels. Right. But I, but I'm saying, dude, it's all pro it's all material. Think about, I mean, we used every single wall and every single barrel on at this match that this, that this range owns, which is insane because I, I guarantee you, we have Todd, do you have 150 walls, maybe 144 walls, 120 barrels. Uh, not a single wall or barrel left at this match. That's yep. insane. <laughs> uh, because of covering things, right? Um, we were bringing steel plates out left and right on Thursday to cover through sh shot throughs where you could shoot a steel down behind a, a barrel. Okay. So, I mean, little things that I learned at this match were very interesting because of the rules. Um, obviously, barrels are hardcover, right? But if you shoot through a piece of hardcover that's technically not hard, now you can get a reshoot because the barrel, it's a range malfunction because the steel went down. So I learned a very valuable lesson. Barrels are garbage, right? They're visual barriers. So don't put them near anything that you can need to shoot. 
right? So very mm-hmm. valuable lesson learned to to maybe basically you steal for everything. <laughs> hardcover, right. hardcover, hardcover. Well, and that if any popper that is next to a wall will shred your wall eventually. 100%. Yeah. Well, I know that one, like paper, obviously, like, you, you know, you... And everyone thinks that you have to cut, co- you only have to really cover the side of the steel. That's where the, most of the, the, the ricochets and spalter go to. So it's just a lot of extra work to think of that stuff though. Right? Like you need extra material for that. Cause you can put a target right next to it, but now you need a barrel and that barrel's getting destroyed. Don't, I mean, don't plan on touching that barrel at the end of the match. Cause you're going to need, uh, you're going to be bleeding to death <laughs> by the time you remove it. Well, and even barrels, the fact is I hate moving barrels because you either roll them on the ground and you kick them all the way there. It's like, can I just pick up this wall and carry it? It's a lot easier that way. than right. Yeah. I mean, then you have issues where you have the wall and then somebody can shoot underneath the wall. Right. And you got some idiot who shoots under the wall and now it puts pressure on your ROs. That, That was another thing that I paid attention to a lot is during staff reset day, I was talking to, to Gary about like, I want to take all the pressure off the ROs. I mean, I found a hole in a stage that I really enjoyed. I'm like, ooh, I could shoot over the top of this barrel and it'll add a different stage plan to this stage. And I, I went up to Gary and I said, listen, man, I can shoot this shot. I know I can hit the shot. A lot of people can hit the shot, but other people aren't going to make this shot. They're going to shoot through the barrel and it's going to ricochet and it's going to be really hard on the ROs to make the call. So we added an extra barrel, which took away a lot of stage plans. It still made it a great stage. It just ruined options on the left side of the stage. So at the end of the day, I had to make a call and, you know, speak up instead of worrying about my shooting, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, here's an advantage that I don't think anybody else will see. But I, it ended up being that that stage actually worked out. There wasn't a single reshoot on that steel because I put that barrel up. So it, it just... four. Yeah, four. We didn't have any issues because of that. Well, <laughs> the funny no, part is that barrel. we had issues on another barrel <laughs> on that stage that I didn't put a piece of steel behind. Uh, again, I, I don't know how many eyes did we have looking at these stages and how many things did we find? Uh, I, I mean, what, I spent a lot of time with our staff, with Todd's staff, on walking stages, building stages, and we worked very, very hard to kind of get it prepped before we even started the match. Gary comes in and finds all kinds of stuff. And then uh, Thursday when we're shooting, we find all kinds of stuff. I'm like, man, this would have been terrible (laughs) if we didn't care (laughs) and just started throwing shit up. Yeah. Well, and I even think when you do those walkthroughs, it's almost like everyone needs to have a job. Like, all right, you're looking for this type of infraction on the stage. So then, because as soon as everyone takes that overlooking glance at things, they see things, but then those little details are going to get missed. That's a great point. I wish I would have thought of it like that. That that would have been a lot, especially because most of our issues came from shoot throughs on mm-hmm. steel. Um, I would say that was the glaring thing that we saw the most of uh, not having steel behind that hardcover. Right. Mm-hmm. That that would I would say is the thing we probably fixed the most. Don't you think, Todd? That was the main thing. Mm-hmm. We had a few targets that we had to turn and twist and, and things like that. But I mean. We had a great staff, man. Our our our, our range masters were awesome. So, Clu- who you have in range master for you up top up north? Um, this year we've got Dan Click. This will be his first inaugural match as uh, the range master of record. Last year he was inducted into the range master program. Nice and finished. So uh, he's a friend of mine. We shoot we shoot um, majors together from time to time. But he finished schooling and 
uh, originally we were supposed to have another range master and then that range master got another major to do. He's still going to come shoot the work, the match, but he actually had one on the docket because range masters have to fulfill this requirement of run, run a level one, level two or three as a range master or CRO a level three or nationals to keep their accreditation without having to take the, the written rule book test. Right. So um, Dan didn't have any matches as the RM. So I was like, I made some calls to a couple people and I was like, Hey, uh, we, we cool with this. And they're like, yep. So Dan is my official range master record. And then I've got my backup slash, uh, you know, just another range master, uh, Walt Pagel. So we've got two just for the sake of being able to split up and if we need to, but which isn't a big issue for just using their 10 events bays. It's, it's all right there. As, as most people have seen, uh, the range is quite uh, accommodating for the most part. Yeah. So your guys are using the down, the down low bays. Mm-hmm. The upper bays that you used for the uh, area five won't be used for this match. No, not for this match, but area nice. five, we will use all of those. And I think we're up to 16 stages now for area five. Wow, Nice. Awesome. Are you using, are you doing double bays or is everything just single bay stuff? There's one bay that is a double bay. Okay. So why did you decide to do a double? Do you have anything going on for vendors? Um, we are still in talks with a couple of the vendors. I need to reach back out for the range, the match director on that one. Uh, we're talking to get, we need to talk and see if Brian's available. I've been, I've asked him like four times and I've called him on the phone. It's like, Brian, you coming buddy? He's like, I don't know yet, man. I got to look at my schedule. I'm like, Brian, you coming? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's almost April. So I can bother him again about it. He is definitely a guy that you should start in uh, December of last year. <laughs> well, and we even <laughs> Maybe <did>. 2021. <laughs> well, it, well, and he, he even says it. he does not like to come back to the same range year after year um for the same match purely because you know you're missing out on other ranges which i can understand you don't want to always uh, you know dictate oh i'm going to be here here and here because then some other matches or clubs don't get the love so i totally understand that but when nothing else was on that weekend i was like brian you gotta come bro you got you just gotta come well just like you you were able to pull brian from whatever he was doing (laughs) yeah i um it wasn't easy like it wasn't easy because so there was at one time he had come to that match. I think it was, he didn't come last year. It was the year before. Did he, he didn't come last year, right? It was the first year. Yeah. Yeah. So he, it was two first years year ago. It, yeah. Say. So he wasn't there last year. Um, but he came, he, so I obviously, you know, I, I'm friends with him and I, I talked to him quite a bit. So I, I just said, look, man, this is what I have. This is my vision. He was going to go to another event, which I'm glad he didn't because I think, I I was very happy to have him there because of his feedback. So one thing that I Todd's like, I am in many ways when it comes to this is we, we want feedback. We send out Todd sent out a survey every single year. He sent out a survey this year, excuse me. We sent out, he sent out a survey. So I basically treated my vendors like a survey, right? I would, Mm -hmm. I probably talked to them five, six, seven times throughout the entire match, uh, just to find out how they did, you know, Hey, did you make any sales? How many people did you see? Like, you know, and get feedback. Like, did you want to change something? So next year I'm hoping to change up a little bit of things. I, I, again, you have to drive traffic in there. The shooters don't even know they want to go in there. Right. I have met shooters that were like, I can go in here and shoot. Like, I didn't know I could do that. I'm like, well, you can. So it's like, obviously next year, people will know more of how the system works and how it's going to work. But they they didn't even know they wanted to go in the vendor area. I don't know how many people I met were like, man, I'm really glad I went in here. I got to try out a Da Vinci. I didn't even, I didn't even know that you could shoot the guns here. And, and there's just, you know, no matter what you say, a lot of people don't read the matchbook, 
right? When, when do I shoot? How many stages do I shoot? What's the round count? All right, cool. I'll see you there. Um, I, I have this conversation about stages all the time. Stages are awesome to get your videos out there of sponsors, right? Like Glock is a great example. I put them on the Holy Monkey stage, right? Uh, or Todd did. And it just happened to be that was the, the Holy Monkey stage. So I put their banner right in front of the Holy Monkey stage. But none of the shooters tag them. They don't tag the vendors. They don't ta tag Target USA, uh, Target USA. They don't tag Glock. So at the end of the day, we're not showing the sponsors, hey, look, guys, we love you. And thank you so much for spot because shooters only think about their score, right? They're not paying attention to who's sponsoring the match or they're not thinking of the benefits that that, that tagging that, that company will bring. Uh, I made a comment on one of my live videos the other day on, on Instagram. I was like, you tag all your buddies in your videos, but they don't give you guns. If you tag Glock, <laughs> they'll give you a gun for a match one day, you dummy. Like, think about it, guys. Like, the sponsors are where it should be at. And we've just not, we're not trained to do that in this sport, right? We're not trained to promote the, the sport or the vendors. We just think, oh, USPSA is, promote USPSA, but USPSA isn't promoting us right? We have to promote us. We have to promote the, the vendors. We have to promote the matches. I mean, the fact that we are a level two match and don't have any shares, <laughs> I don't know. How many times have I heard about your match from, from our organization? Oh, not, not at all. I mean, at so- I say, what, huh? There's so a match how, in Michigan? Hold on just one <laughs> second. I think Todd sent me this. The uh, I'm going to put a number out here. Uh, where are you, Todd? Lots of text messages from you, buddy. Let me see. Or from somebody else. Where are you at? There it is. Okay. So Todd sent me a price, a cost of what it cost to pay USPSA and activities fees for this match. So we paid $747.50. We don't have a single share. So why did I pay $750 or why did Todd pay $750 to USPSA? Rule book? Awesome. <laughs> How about a, an F and share? How about, and it's not, I don't care if you talk about me, you can hate me all you want. Talk about our match. We're the first level two match in USPSA for the year. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't understand it. I, I don't understand it, but it's funny because I made a video. I made a video and one of our main sponsors that came to our match shared my video and that's how the share got was from that person, not from me. They didn't share my video. They shared it from her post. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's just like, uh, you know, this, the, the petty shit in this sport is unbelievable to me. Right. And, and, and I can only see that fee going up, you know, or activity fees for level two matches. It's, it's you know, it's part of, it's unfortunately, it's a part of the, you know, the fee structure of your match too, which when, mm -hmm. the, when the fees go up, like, and I couldn't understand anyone who'd want to run a classifier in a level two or a level three match. <laughs> oh, like, geez. Right. like yeah. no, like two, $2 yeah. and 50 cents a shooter is enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you add a buck 50 on top of that. You're like, really? <laughs> mm -hmm. Wait till, um, I think there's going to be a rude awakening from what I've heard recently about the cost of our sport coming from USPSA. So I, I hope everybody's ready mm -hmm. because it's going to put a lot of people out of the sport. See, this is why I'm, I'm L5251. Yeah, I don't think my... it's going to, I don't think it's the memberships that you need to worry about. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be match fees that everybody better start getting ready for because they're going to make their, they're going to get their money back in the next two years. 
now okay now speaking of that what what do you charge todd what do you charge locally and tom what do you charge locally for a like a match level one or level, level one 20 bucks it's probably eventually going to go up to 25 because it hasn't right i've been doing this for two and a half years and we haven't raised the rates from 20 but all of my costs have went up mm-hmm. every um i mean inflation's a bitch and we try to keep it down but sooner or later we're gonna have to do, continue to be able to have the matches yeah, so, up here we what, charge twenty six, but we also make everybody pay online. Why the hell are you charging twenty six instead of twenty five? Because we got to pay that strike fee. Oh, oh. my god! <laughs> so you guys hey, don't take honest. cash. You don't make them pay at the. Why do you make them pay online? I'm I'm really interested in your like the philosophy, so you can track it better for your club or what? Logistically, on the day of a local match day, it's simplest. You know, it's super easy, right? You know, there's no money on hand. Yeah. No one's got to have a kitty to pay change because no one's going to pay you exact cash either. Oh, they do. Ever- you know why? Because you say, no, I don't have change, period. <laughs> like, it's that simple. Once you set the rules, you'd be amazed how many people come with cash. It's not hard. Go to the bank. Be an adult. Right. What is interesting enough is a lot of people will even forget, like, when we have Steel Challenge, just, we'll take Steel Challenge money because we'll usually let people shoot two guns. Right, right. You know. 15 for one, 20 for two, because, you know, there's no activity per gun fee, it seems like, yep. for Steel Challenge. So it's easier that way for cash, because practice score isn't made to handle Steel Challenge registrations, it seems like. But they started this pre-COVID, and they found that it, it's easy on logistical logistics. Um, it's a bitch when somebody withdraws from your match, mind you, which I absolutely yes. hate. And I also think it also deters down our local match attendance. Like, I, I can't quantify that number. But it's people are like, well, if I, if I pay the 25, 26 bucks out of my pocket now and I can't go, you know, usually we'll just roll them into the next match if they want to come to the next one, which is fine, or we'll refund them their money. But it's also, it becomes a logistical nightmare. And I'd like to see, to go back to cash, but I, I need to convince the rest of my match directors at the club to go back to it. There's yep. no way I would do online for level one because... No there's 10% um, roughly from the first when I open up the match to the match, there's 10 to 15% fluctuation in there. And I'm not going to keep track of that month to month. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Yeah. I mean, my job's tough enough as it is to track who's paid for three months ago and just now showed up and stuff like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't want to keep a record. I don't want to track anybody. So I, I just raised my price to 25 um, I only raised my price because of cost, uh, not, and it's not inflation. I raised my price because shooters were wasting things, throwing things on the ground, um, taking targets home that shouldn't have taken targets home. Um, I basically let the shooters hang themselves. Uh, that's kind of how I did it. I, I warned them for three months, stop wasting, stop wasting, stop wasting. Um, don't take targets home. If you see no shoots on walls, don't take them. They, they cost a dollar uh, per target. Um, and I had, I was it, I was done. Um, cause I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to argue with people. I'm not here to fight with people. I'm not here to be a bad guy. I just happen to be the guy that'll say what's on his mind that everyone else is thinking. <laughs> right. And, uh, I don't, not the most popular person for that in my area, but if I see you stealing targets, cause technically that's stealing targets. If I see you taking rolls of pasters or even worse throw, well, not worse, but throwing pacers on the ground and not picking them up and not giving a shit that are $6 a roll. Um, I, I just, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to, now everybody has to pay for your stupidity, I guess, or your, your rudeness or whatever you want to call it. So 
I don't know. I just, I don't like that kind of stuff. I don't like when someone else doesn't care about other people. So unfortunately everybody has to pay for that. It just, everything costs money now, mm -hmm. right? Like sticks, they're $3 and 50 cents for stick. <laughs> so bad. Like, yes. and you go to this you, and you're like, you got, we went and bought two by fours and sticks the other day. I'm like, what this cost you? And he's like, you don't want to know. I'm like, yeah. okay, I don't, don't yeah. even yeah. ask. I, I buy the 10 footers personally. Uh, it's not easy to find them, but I buy the 10 footers and then I cut them in half so I can get double. So that does save some money, but yes. guess who has to cut them? Me. Guess what? I don't get paid to do cut wood, <laughs> you know? So it's like, it's just, you know, again, trying to save money so I can keep the prices down. And it just, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm getting, I'm after South Carolina, I'm getting pretty close to not running a local match anymore, guys. I'm, I've been spending a lot of time taking care of everybody else. And my shooting is suffering because of everybody else. And I'm not doing it anymore. I'm, I'm going to be a little more selfish uh, about my own shooting. I, I plan on doing well this year. And I can't do that by killing myself for a local match that I don't really need to go shoot. Right. I didn't do it for me. I did it. So everybody else had a great match. I really enjoy building those matches and having great matches, but I'm good. You know, um, nobody wants to step up, so I'll step out. Well, and honestly, you could say you lost money because you could be teaching classes on those weekends and actually bringing in money instead of. So this is one of the reasons why the last two matches have been canceled. One, I was in South Carolina um, losing money. <laughs> mm -hmm. So is that, I keep trying to get Todd to double my salary, uh, a dollar, double, double what he makes. Unfortunately, he makes the same I was making, which was zilch. So I was like, this is not really working out in my favor. <laughs> uh, but you just, you don't do it for the money. You do it for the love of the game. Uh, I do it to make it better. Like I love the fact that I was able to put my hand on every single stage. I think the only stage I didn't build was stage one. I didn't touch it at all. Like didn't have to, they, those guys crushed that stage. Uh, Tyler built that stage him. And uh, I think Chris were the two that were on that one. And we, I didn't touch it. I was, I worked on two and then we kind of all ganged up together and just crushed the rest of the stages together on Sunday. We had like nine, nine people, I think, including me or 10, whatever it was uh, come out and build on that day. And I mean, we did eight stages in one day, <laughs> mm -hmm. like we crushed it. And then from there, we suffered, you know, we basically suffered through the rest of the time with like three or four people and, and which doesn't sound like a lot, but the, the last couple stages were laborious, you know, lots of labor and getting things there. The, so the, the one thing about Belton and, and it's kind of like your range a lot, uh, Alex, is that for like, they have a section that's competition ranges, which is six, six bays, right? Todd yeah so this year we only had five bays because I stole one for the vendor area so the other bays are all far far away like I don't know what what I mean it's at least five to ten minutes to get there maybe six minutes to drive up there you think not that bad am I just oh, exaggerating because I drove it a million times <laughs> but it took a truck and a trailer to get everything there Right. Yes. So it's not like you could just go to the Connex, take it out and walk it to a bay. I mean, it took a lot of effort to get it all up there. So that's where it takes a long time. It just, you end up spending probably three hours just getting everything to each bay. And, and, and that's, that's the hardest and, and most time consuming before you can even put anything on the ground. But I would say seven through 10, I think 10 was probably one of our easier stages to build, but seven through 10 was our most complex, right? Like yep, those stages sure. took a lot of extra shit to put up. So you've got to go. So I see there's really long bays, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Those and are then, technically rifle bays. Yeah. So then you, so I'm assuming the other pistol bays are behind the rifle bays. Yep. Well, there's, uh, let me see if I can pull up a diagram and actually share it. that if you could, Alex, so I can show the world what we're doing. Let's see. Let's share. So, cause so. right. So if you guys are watching the YouTube video, this will be on the video. So you'll be able to see it. Um, you'll be able to see what we have here. So right now, like if you go to the, uh, if you're looking at the left there, that's the competition base. Yep. So mm -hmm. that bay, that top bay is bay one. <clears throat> yep. And then it's two, three, four, five, six. But if you go down just a little bit farther, you'll see that bay right there that we actually had to take that bay right there where you're pointing. That's bay six today of this year. That is usually a public range with steel. And um, that's like one of the most popular bays. So we had to actually steal that this year that we didn't steal last year, turn that into a bay. And if you go to the right, so it's the, yeah, these, these four here, you'll see, nope, those on the back, we didn't use yet all of those. So that was seven, eight from left to right was seven, eight, nine, and 10 this year. So that, so imagine just, if you look that road to the left of all the competition base, we had to drive all the way from there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all the way up to those far right bays to bring everything in. So, and then top left is shotgun. I mean, this, this is a great range. And, mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So, it definitely looks nice now. Yeah. And you can, cause you come in off of this road, it seems like, and then you go past the clubhouse, I'm assuming. And... Yeah. That's the clubhouse. Yep. So then you go down the road, then come down the hill. So if you go down that hill, the way I set up the vendor areas, you go down that hill and you couldn't drive through there. The only people who could drive through there were carts, right? We had all the food on the left of where your arrow is now. Yep, that was mm -hmm. the food. We had an ice cream truck or a um, homemade ice cream or well, yeah, whatever. I guess that's what I'd call it. Homemade ice cream. And then uh, the, there was a food truck right next to that. Brian was to the right. Uh, if you go up to the top just a little bit. Yep, Brian was set up right around there. Registration is in that first building on your right. Mm-hmm. That's where I put the registration and then all the vendors, the warm-up bay and everything else was kind of blended in there. So I actually just made a video that I'll eventually post up. I'll probably share the video in here around this time. So you guys can all see the video that I made, but it's uh, yeah, man, it's exciting. I'm uh, I'm excited about, you know, having the opportunity to do it again next year. I know uh, Todd and I, so go ahead and jump off of that. I know Todd and I were, um, we were both questioning whether we should do this again. <laughs> um, at the end of every match, I question it. Yeah, it was, um, I will say at the end of the match was more frustrating than anything because everybody goes home mm -hmm. except for the people that can't. And uh, fortunately, we had 10 people to stay and help tear it down. Yep. Uh, we were very, very lucky that we had those 10 people because... I barely got my own stuff broken down. I was pretty, I was pretty done. I I, I don't usually fall off um, very much, but I was having a hard time standing up. <laughs> I, yeah. I was falling asleep on Sunday when it was raining. I was trying to edit a video and I sat in front of that thing for over. And I probably sat there for two hours and didn't make a single edit button click. I just, the computer <laughs> just sat open and if it wasn't for people coming up to talk to me, I was just in another world. So I, I, I had Todd and I were the first ones to the range and the last ones to leave. I wouldn't change it for anything though, man. It was, it was a, a amazing experience to work with Todd. The guy is, I'm definitely going to bring on one of the guy, one of our friends, Clay got a chance to ride around with him on uh, Sunday or Saturday, Saturday, Saturday and Sunday. 
Um, one, the guy's a hoot to talk to. He's amazing. He's a lot of fun to be around. So I think it'll be a funny podcast, but I, I think people need to understand what these match directors are going through. It's not easy. It's yeah. not, it's really not easy at all. Like it sucks. Like it's a shitty job. Like you take responsibility for everything. Um, even if it's not your fault, you take response, you take things personal that shouldn't be personal. I mean, Todd and I probably yelled at us, yelled at each other three or four times because he was snappy or I was snappy. And we were like, you don't talk to me like that. And they were like, okay, I love you. <laughs> like, like, don't, you know, this, this isn't going to get between our friends. It's just how it is. Like, there's a lot to the match that I know the funny thing is, or it's not really funny. It sucks because I saw Todd maybe three times when the match was happening. So Friday, I barely saw him Saturday. I never saw him Sunday. I never saw him. And we were literally running around. I would go, Hey, how's it going? He would give me a quick word. I got to go. He'd come into the vendor. He goes, Hey, how's it going? I was like, I got to go. We never really got a chance to kind of team up. You know what I mean? Like and help each other. We didn't really have it. We were just busy with our own stuff. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Tom Castro shooting Academy next level podcast. This is the end of part one. Tune in next week to listen to part two.